The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. In episode 138 of Circles Off, we're joined by the winner of the Circa Millions Pro Football Contest, Matty Saint, breaking down how he got into the contest, his strategy throughout, if anything changed as he went along, and a whole lot more. This week's Circles Off starts now. Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 138, right here, part of the Hammer Betting Network and presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook. I'm Rob Pozzola, joined by Johnny from Vetstamp. Robbie P. What's going on? <laughs> I don't think I've seen you that that uh, sweater before with the purple lettering. This gray is the, uh, yeah, the gray and purple. It's a, it's a banger. Your limited edition. Also, this one's a banger right That here. is a banger. A lot of people uh, received some Pinnacle swag in Ontario the other day. No thanks to the podcast. We've been getting a lot of... A lot of hate mail. People want us to do some merch giveaways. Rob, where are we on that? We got one going on right now. You can head over to the hammer.bet forward slash the nails and you can sign up for merch giveaway, pinnacle swag bag, bet stamp swag bag as well. Free to enter. It's all you got to do. Head over to the hammer.bet forward slash the nails. We do have some message boards there as well if you just want to join part of the community. But we're going to be doing a Q&A coming up here probably in a few weeks post Super Bowl. We're going to take a bunch of questions in there. So in the Circles Off thread as well, post any questions you want to see us ask, answer on the Q&A, and we will get to those as well. Episode 138 is number 38. Uh, so this one was one I saw a guy in Vegas at a UFC event wearing this jersey, and I was fired up. Carlos Zambrano. Oh, Zambrano, yeah. Zambrano, man, if that guy could have figured out his control, he would have been... I mean, he was a great pitcher for a while. But he got, he was all over the place. I think Kurt Schilling's uh, was the the better pitcher. The fake blood in the sock. Uh, I I still don't, I'm still not buying that story. That was, yeah, you've talked about it before. You're not buying that. Who else is 38? uh, Conspiracy theory on the Oh, yeah, you did. did. Yeah, that was, that that, that went viral, that one, I Mm -hmm. think. Yeah. You know, knowing what I know about Kurt Schilling after the fact, like in real time, I thought it was blood. But now my opinion of him has changed over time. Post, ketchup, ketchup post, packet. It could have been something. He, I wouldn't put him past him. If there was like an athlete, I wouldn't put it past to do something like that. It's Kurt Schilling. NFL, we have Ramondre Stevenson running back on the Patriots right now. Yeah. He'll be out of the league in a couple of years. 38s are, are tough. They're really tough. Any NHLs? Uh, like... <laughs> Rasmus Sandy, <laughs> Fraser McLaren, former Maple former Leaf. Leaf, yeah, former we know tough all the guy. Leafs. It's tough. Pavel Dimitra used to wear. Uh, Pavel Dimitra, rest in peace, used to wear thirty-eight. He was a great player for a while. I think he died in a like a plane crash. Yeah, though. he did. Was some, yeah, it was a plane crash. Oh, right? his team. Yeah, his correct? team. Yeah. That was messed up. Very sad. It's messed up. You don't see stuff like that very often. Also, what you don't see very often is what happened over at uh, ESPN Bet this week. What the fuck was that? The score bet over in uh, Canada for those listening. Yeah. Well, yeah. Apparently, something blew up where you can get the you can get an off market price on the Ravens. What do you think happened there? I honestly have been thinking about this for a while. So it was like it was basically like one and a half games where this happened for right. It was the Ravens for a bit and the Chiefs as well. I don't have a great explanation. 
Yeah. So explain to people what ha- what actually like what the edge was there. So basically one specific sports book dealing way off market prices. Like when I say way off market, you could have arbed basically anywhere else on the other side on these games. That's how off market it was. And like you just don't see that. That doesn't happen in our industry nowadays. Pinnacle, you know, market making books out there set a line they move everybody else goes and copies them it's very unusual you're going to see a major market nfl side up at a at a very different price and i'm going to go back here we can erase that on the board zach because i i consulted for sports books back <laughs> in the day and i'm going to tell you when i consulted for a major offshore sports book if they were going to do something like this and put out way off market prices to generate like more uh, you know, first time depositors or just get like a bunch of traction to the sports book, they would have promoted the shit out of it. Like they, they would have spent an entire week promoting that they had that offer available they to them. They didn't promote it at all. No, yeah. this wasn't there. Then you gotta ask yourself like, was it just a mistake where they didn't cap the, the boost? Like it, bet boosts everywhere are, are limited, right? You go place a uh, bet a boost somewhere, it's 50 bucks, 100 bucks here and there. Maybe they didn't, you know, just they didn't cap it. Someone forgot to do that. But that doesn't explain how like my buddy Hitman could get a $15,000 bet, whereas I could get a $750 bet. And my other buddy who's already limited on his account could only get a $50 bet. Like something's not adding up here. I think they just messed up. Not not a promo. I honestly think I don't know. If, I honestly don't know if it was related to the mattress Mac thing, but I think that they had real big exposure on sides where they had to do something to balance the act. That this is my rational explanation for this. I don't know what else it could be. It'd be actually very interesting if at some point we could talk to Shipper again and get him back on the show just to do like walk through this specific example, but. The fact that they had no promo, in my opinion, pretty much rules out the fact that it was on purpose, like as a promotion, because they didn't advertise it. Like, I don't think it was a promo to get people to sign up and like do it, whether they got people to sign up or not. The other thing is, if you're going to like lay off action or sorry, not lay off action, I don't know what what do you want to even call it. But if you're going to try to like reduce liability for the sports book, like I don't think you had to go that off market on the number. You could have just been a little, you could have just been so they were dealing minus nine and a half plus 110 and you could play back on uh, any other sports book roughly at plus 10 minus 110 so you would have had like a zero risk chance at what would be like a half middle there if houston lost by exactly 10 you would have won the espn bet and lost wherever else you played it but if you can bet unlimited on that it seems like a no-brainer for the uh, the average better looking to cash in on a potential lottery ticket with no risk i i i think like i've gone through all the scenarios in my head none of them really make a lot of sense the only one that that somewhat makes sense is that they just had a ton of exposure on the game how they built up that exposure i don't know typically speaking in my experience in order to get to an exposure that high the trading team would have to go to the ceo or to the board of directors and say hey like we're building up this you know, potential loss here. Are you guys comfortable with that? And then the board or the CEO or executive team would make a decision and tell people what to do in that instance. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know how you get to that. Well, how, how, what did they take on the plus 10? Or did they take plus 10, plus nine and a half? Like what were they high on exposure? Because they could have opened themselves up to even more exposure essentially on a 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. On a push. It, it, it's almost like someone was making a decision at another level that was like, no, 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 we can't lose X amount of dollars if this happens. Do whatever you can to get off as much of this position as possible. We're comfortable with this amount of exposure. And then they run that. But why they would like give X amount of bets to some people and Y amount of bets to others. and I, I honestly don't. One day I'd love to see a 30 for 30 on what exactly happened here because a lot of it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me and it's you know it's a new sports book in the united states um really weird really weird overall but you know what i'm all about treating players very fairly i don't like when sports books give x limits to one guy y to another z to another and that's why i highly recommend you check out pinnacle sportsbook the fairest book for sports bettors out there, limits are always posted on every single bet. You can just click it. What I get to bet is the same as what Johnny gets to bet. It's the same as what Zach gets to bet. And you get to do it at very good prices as well. They pride themselves on the low margins. We talk about it all the time on this show, but you better be price shopping. And you got to do that with Pinnacle in business for 25 years for a reason. So bet smart, bet Pinnacle, your trusted sportsbook the past 25 years. Use code HAMMER when signing up, as it does help support the show here circles off. Of course, you must be 19 plus, not available in the US. And as always, please play responsibly. We do have a guest episode today, but before we get into it, we are very close to cracking 5K subs here on Circles Off. Do what you can, sub down below, hit that notification bell so you get alerted when we have new episodes. And of course, if you can as well, share this out to the community. People are giving us great feedback on the recent shows. We love putting them together, but we do want to get this out to the masses. So please share our content as well. Our guest this week comes to us as the winner of this year's Circa Million, taking home $1 million top prize with a record of 62-27-1 against the spread. An all-time great season. You can follow him on Twitter, at Maddie Saint. Matt Saint now joins us here on Circles Off. Matt, how's it going? It's going great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, Matt, congrats on the big win. Um, very impressive, obviously, and uh, you know a lot of uh, game theory and strategy in this contest. Before we get into that, why don't you just tell us about yourself? Um, you know, how did you kind of get into betting the contest, stuff like that, and a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I work in finance, uh, revenue and markets, a big, large uh, Fortune 500 company. Um, reside in the suburbs of Minneapolis uh, with my wife. I've got twin uh, five-year-old boy-girl. Um, so that's just you know a little bit of my personal background um, from a sports betting background, contest background. Uh, we don't have legalized gambling in Minnesota, so it's a little challenging. Um, so my, my gambling background resolves around boys trips to, to Vegas um, and then office pools and pick them contests uh, with me and my, my buddies at home. So uh, not too much from a, a background standpoint as far as like the big uh, Vegas contests, like the super contest or the circa millions. This was a uh, first go around at it. So you mentioned the contest. A lot of us have done those office pools, really fun. Do you do any like flat betting or straight betting yourself? Uh, not too much, just a, a dabbling a little bit. Um, yeah, so a lot of my background is is pretty limited, to be honest. It's just, uh, you know, me and my, I've got a couple of buddies that we, we text back and forth or we create lines in our heads the last few years. Um, so the background on this is, you know, pretty rare probably, but yeah, I don't have much of a, a betting 
uh, career or, or historical, you know, uh, presence or anything like that. This is kind of a first time go at it and, and definitely struck lightning here. Yeah. So that's interesting because you know, let, let's start right at the beginning of the story right here with the Circa Millions for this year. But most people who aren't involved in uh, regulated sports betting or betting on a day-to-day basis, they might not even know that a contest like Circa Millions exists out there. Uh, obviously, it's very big for us who are in the betting space, people who frequent Circa and travel there or, you know, to Las Vegas. How did you find out about the competition in the first place? Yeah, so I've been following Derek and Mike Palm for years through Visa, and they're back on my guys in the desert. So I'd, I'd listen to Visa almost every day, you know, even without sports betting legalized. I just found, you know, a lot of interest in the markets and the numbers and stuff, and you know, working with numbers every day. I, I just found that to be a lot more fun and and relevant to follow around like the NFL and stuff. And then obviously, um, I. I play a lot of DFS. So you know, a lot of the Vegas lines contribute into DFS methodology and game theory also. So you'd be paying attention in that regard. But as far as Circa Millions, you know, been a big fan of Derek and Mike Palm from the sidelines for a number of years. Um, I had done some offshore contests um, with with a book um, and to kind of test the waters. And I knew Circa Millions was there. Um, so I wanted to, you know, at least test my but my skills a little bit the last couple of years before entering the circa million, just because, you know, I'd play low stakes, like $50, $100 entries for a full year, you know, $1,000 entries, a, kind of a different, um, I don't know, different stakes for, for what I'm used to. So, um, so that's how I got interested in it. I've been following it for a number of years. And then last year it was right around the Super Bowl where I, I had a conversation with my wife, like, I want to, I want to do this contest. I want to bet on myself. I want to do millions. I want to sign up for survivor. Um, and then started the kind of the planning process at that time. Um, did you end up going with one entry? Or did you do multi entries for this year? I just did the one entry for millions. I had two survivor, one millions. Um, yeah, just wanted to yeah test it out. This was my first year entering, so I didn't want to go too big. Uh, well, you did you did go big, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, so what was what was your strategy picking? Uh, were you just like trying to originate the plays, or was it more like looking at the numbers and seeing what was uh, you know contest strategy? Yeah, it was it was very holistic. I had a pretty in depth process that I kind of started off right away. Um, I had done my own power ratings uh, last winter, um, and then I updated that throughout the draft and free agency process. And then I kind of compared my ratings versus the opening lines for week one just to see how close I was. So that was kind of like step one in the process. And then I, I, well, you know, once you had three or four weeks of data throughout the season, I'd bring in more of the advanced metrics with DVOA and EPA as those meant more as the season went on. Um, and then I'd also, you know, do a lot of individual matchup analysis. So comparing the, the offensive line versus defensive lines, I'd compare the wide receiver versus cornerback matchups and uh, try to gain a little bit of uh, understanding of, you know, you know, coverage schemes or the different uh, personnel tendencies and, you know, where teams were good versus bad. Um, so it was a very holistic uh, process. Um, I would do a full matchup analysis for each game. And then I'd also... Um, kind of come up with my own score in my head compared against power ratings, you know, and then create a short card and then ultimately a confidence factor that I had just in like gut, you know, feel of, you know, based on eye test, based on my numbers, um, you know, how did everything sort through and, and kind of sort it out. And then obviously as the week would progress on Fridays and Saturdays, you could see how the lines and the markets would move versus what the, 
the contest lines, you know, those are stagnant as of Thursday afternoons, you know, see how those, you know, change over the, the remaining 48 hours before picks were due. So uh, did you put your picks in right before they were due or a bit earlier? Uh, typically it was, you know, within an hour or two of pick submission. I think the first couple weeks I'd submit Friday nights and I, you know, I kind of learned early on, I need to prolong that as long as possible. Um, so I coach my kids hockey on Saturday mornings. So sometimes that'd be a conflict where like, I would just try to get that in. So I wouldn't, you know, miss my picks or get caught up in the locker room or anything like that. So, um, but I ultimately, you know, as the week or as the year progressed, my process got a lot more refined and I could, you know, Friday nights were long nights in my office, just going through everything. And I'd usually go to bed with my, probably my five picks at that point with two alternates. And then I'd compare on Saturdays when I'd get home and just make sure that I still felt comfortable with, uh, with what I had wrote down. Yeah. So you had a pretty thorough process in coming up with your number for the game. Um, was all of that manual? And if so, like how long was it taking you on a weekly basis? Because that's, I mean, that's pretty time consuming comparing O-lines, D-lines of every team, all the matchup-based analysis. If you're just doing it uh, basically by hand or, or, or manually, how, how much was actually going into this on a weekly basis? Yeah, it became it became a full time job, if not more than my regular day day job. If I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you about it. But um, I did use a lot of sources, though. Like I'd use the um, Ben Baldwin has great. Um, resources. So his EPA metrics I'd download, uh, the Sumer Sports um, databases were were great to leverage. Um, so I, I'd use those. Um, there's there's multiple sites where you can download data, and then I'd I'd manually feed it into my Excel spreadsheets, and then I'd have full matchup comparisons, and you know I'd. 20 or 25 different comparisons, which probably became over analysis at the end of the day of things. But um, I, I guess it just kind of falls back in, you know, what I do for work and, and everything. Like, like I'm kind of a, you know, an analytical guy by nature. So um, that just kind of falls into my, into my skill set and how I like to think, think through things, think things through at the end of the day. How much were you influenced by outside sources, if at all? So a lot of times whenever people are handicapping the NFL, they might be consuming like five different pieces of content over the course of the week from people that they respect. And maybe that might alter their opinion based off of something that somebody says, whether it's explicitly a pick that's given out or maybe just an angle in the game. How much of that fed into what you did? Did you consume content on a weekly basis? Um, or was this just like, you know, I'm going to clear my head, do my own thing, submit my own numbers? No, I, I definitely consumed a lot of content, maybe too much content at the end of the day. Um, just a, a couple off the top of my head. I, you know, I'd listen to Turn Off almost every day. I'd, I'd listen to your show with uh, Suma and with Hitman on, on Wednesdays, uh, as an example. Um, and so what I would do during those podcasts, I take a lot of notes. There's a lot of work and stuff that I don't have the capacity to do because you know this is my full-time job. So I try to understand angles that I might not have considered. I'd also try to like hear a devil's advocate. So if I have a lean on a game and someone you know has a different lean, try to like understand why. Um, and then also it helps helped me understand where I think the public versus the sharp, you know, side of games could ultimately be. 
and also understand what consensus picks could be at the end of the day too. So I would take a lot of notes, try to understand where the sides were. I tried not to let it influence what I ultimately picked. Um, you know, sometimes there'd be, you know, if I was confident in three or four games and I was struggling for a fifth, you know, maybe rely on some of the notes I took through the week and maybe some of the people I really respected of what their heavy leans were or best, best bets. Um, but I tried not to influence that uh, just cause I didn't want to be, um, you know, just going with, uh, you know, the group think process of, of everything. So yeah, definitely consumed a lot of content, but it was also just trying to sort through it all and, and try to understand where, where the picks were going to be landing from a consensus standpoint as well. I, go ahead. I was just going to say, I appreciate your support in uh, listening <laughs> to Rob's show. I don't know how much that contributed to the, the overall hey, win. I, my best bets this year, listen, very small sample size, but whenever you're over 500 and you make money, you got to pat yourself on the back and promote it as much as possible. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You gotta just to that. stay away from Hitman this year, I guess, was yeah, the I mean, takeaway. If, if you just faded his best bets for, for one of your picks every single week, you would have went like 15 and 3. If you tailed right. him, you would have ended up at the bottom too, so you actually would have still made money. Movie prize, yeah. Go, go for the booby prize next year with him. <laughs> so as it as the contest progressed, I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming at the start there's not much stress in, it, stress in there, right? It's a thousand dollar entry, but as it starts getting into the money and you realize, like, hey, I'm near the top of the board. Maybe let's say, actually, I guess, how many weeks left until you started like really sweating and you're like, wow, I might win this thing? Uh, I would say the the probably the week after Thanksgiving. So I had. Um, jump from like 30th in the contest to ninth. And then the following week I had like a four and one or five and oh again, and, and went to first for the first time. That's when like the anxiety really like started to like hit. And it was like more of like, I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to like, I don't want to miss, you know, something that's really apparent. So I would go probably to the next level of going through the games. And, and at times, like, I think I overdid it, but I also just didn't want this opportunity to go and like, kick myself at the end of the day for not spending that extra hour or two in the office of trying to like look for every nook and cranny through a matchup um, and, and trying to find any sort of edge or thought that I had. Um, so that was when the anxiety really started kicking in. And then um, I would also say that was the first week I had the the thought of like, I truly do have a shot at winning the contest. I had surpassed a lot of players. Um, you know, Fezzik, for instance, he was been in the, he was in the top five for almost the whole season up until the last three weeks, you know, seeing him at the top of the board and knowing his track record in these contests, like, uh, I knew it wasn't going to be easy going down the stretch. And, and I, you know, I was fearful every Saturday of submitting a one in four or oh and five. That was like going through the back of my mind every week of just like, hopefully this isn't the week where, um, you know, the regression hits. Wow. Yeah. I can I can imagine the pressure that's in that type of situation. I mean, in the beginning of the year, it's everyone's game, whatever. You submit your picks, you hope for the best. But once you're actually at the top and and you can, you know, realize, you can almost taste the money. It's uh, I'm sure it's a different story. Uh, on the same subject, I, I kind of want to just like talk about the evolution of the contest as the year goes on, because you're there at the beginning of the year, you're making your picks, you're going through your process, but I'm sure there's probably not a lot of game theory that's going through your head at the beginning of the year. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine you're running your numbers, you're playing your biggest edges. You get to Thanksgiving, you know, you get that bump, you now see yourself in the top 10. Down the stretch, I imagine that things were very different for you in making selections mm -hmm. because you have to be more cognizant of what other people are thinking. 
Oh, a hundred percent. There was a, you know, week 17 is a great example of that. It was uh, Jags and Panthers. Um, and the contest line was six. I think it got down to three or three and a half. And I had a one and a half or two point lead at that point. So that became like almost an auto play just place. Like, you know, there's huge closing line value the, you know, I'm guessing that, you know, out of the top 10 or top 15, like, you know, 50% plus are going to be on that game as well. So even if I really wasn't a big fan of it per se, like, I think it just becomes a play. Um, you know, earlier on in the year, I think, like, I benefited from fading some of those closing line value games. Um, so, yeah, I, like, I, I wasn't definitely, it was definitely not an auto play for me at that point. Um, you know, one of the games that comes to mind is, like, the, the San Francisco-Cleveland game earlier in the year. Um, I think the contest closed at 6. I think the line was at, like, 10 or something by the time kickoff came. And I was just like, man, Cleveland's got a great D. The weather's going to be crummy. You know, there's going to be a lot of people on this game. So I ultimately just faded it. So um, so I, I benefited from, you know, examples like that. But then at the end of the year, the game theory standpoint, even, um, you know, week 18, I took Baltimore. Or, yeah, I took Baltimore uh, with, uh, I think the contest line was three. Or no, it was contest line was four. They got down to plus three at kickoff. Yeah. Um, and then the Giants as well. The contest line was plus five. They was plus four. So there's two examples there where I, where I ended up taking the closing line value as like chip leader. Um, where I was actually a fan of the Giants. I wasn't, I mean, the Baltimore game was fine too. Uh, but I, I also envisioned that out of the top 10, like there was going to be a lot of overlap. And so during that, time frame with like game theory etc like i wasn't opposed to overlaps there and kind of just kind of having blockers and you know crossing crossing people you know in fifth to tenth place out of the out of the money were you manically refreshing the circa twitter account to see when the picks <laughs> would come out or were you just like ah you know i got my picks in i'll see what's going yeah, on did on you Sunday? go through every every person and then see that not until the last probably two or three weeks did i start going through that like i had always watched the uh, VEASAN on Saturday nights, there'd be the contest show. Um, so I'd watch that just to see where the top five was, um, where it was landing. And then week 18, I was actually in Vegas. I did a VEASAN segment right when the picks were being announced. So I like scrambled. I did the VEASAN segment, went up to the hotel room. I got my computer open and I was you know, kind of scrambling to figure out where everybody was and figure out what, what kind of hedge plays I needed to lay in the book on uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. So I had a group of three buddies out there with me sweating the games. We had, we had fun just trying to, you know, dial everything in on uh, Saturday night and Sunday morning. So that was great. But yeah, for the last like two or three weeks, I'd, I think the uh, top 10, I'd kind of document what their picks were um, and sort through it. And then um, as I made my picks week 18, that was probably the most I tried to like understand where the top five had been playing for the last like three or four weeks, try to understand that they had any trends or things I could pick up on if they were guys that played closing line value or if they were dog players or they like to play faves or you know home team road team stuff so I, I really dug in that week probably more than any other week just because prior to that there's so much variance and volatility with making five picks with how many people are in contention it I, I thought it was kind of a a fruitless exercise to be honest but week week 17 week 18 it became a lot more real and um exercisable i'd say yeah so week 18 you're at circa you're watching the games uh, I was going to ask you about hedging because that, I mean, this we, we talked about the Survivor 
pool, which was massive for this competition, was like nine million and whether or not people were going to be hedging, working out deals. You're in first place going into the final week of the season and you did decide to hedge on uh, on some of your plays there. I did on week 18. I, I didn't do anything you know, prior to that just because, like I said, there's so much variability and volatility with five picks against the spread with how tight the standings are every every week. And, you know, you have one bad week and you're kind of, you know, you can fall from a one million to 30,000 really quick. Um, but week 18, I had a really good understanding of kind of where my um my, my fall points were so i was able to place like a, a a pretty reasonable bet i had falcons plus three and a half uh week 18 so i was able to take the opposite with saints and, and monetize that and then uh so that was one of the bigger plays of the week and then going into the final game was the miami and, and buffalo game and i knew i just needed buffalo just to even push would have got me the 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 championship there so i did do a, a fairly sizable hedge on on the dolphins that night um but still, still definitely top heavy. Um, but it was able to at least, you know, bridge the gap a little bit if uh, if Buffalo fell that night. Well, uh, what was the feeling watching that Bills game? Because I I don't remember it exactly, but it like what a sweat that it comes down to the final <laughs> game of the year, Sunday Night Football for you. I I'm pretty sure the Dolphins had the lead in the first half of that game, and then Buffalo just had an incredible second half. What's going through your head during that game? My my going through my head is man the. The Bills probably left 17 points on the field in the first half. <laughs> and then uh, the second thought was, man, second place will be just just as good. <laughs> and then uh, and then the Deont- so I wasn't like I wasn't really too nervous throughout that whole game until so Deontay Hardy had that 95 yard punt return. And that got me and my buddies like fired up again because we had kind of just been like mellow, like just absorbing everything going on that night. Um, and then Buffalo took they, I think they, they got the punt return to tie it up. I think they went three and out, and then they marched down and got like a lead with like seven minutes to go. And that's like when the nerves really started to uh, like hit me that I could win because up until that point, you're kind of just like, all right, I got second locked in at worst. But then you can like, it's in your hands at that point, and you just, you want it so bad that like you're just, you're firing like every sort of part of emotion in your body is going crazy. Um, and then, Josh Allen had a fourth and inches that, you know, if he converts that, they just take, you know, two or three knees and it's over and he didn't get it. (laughs) And so me and my buddies were standing up, we're standing up ready for that. He didn't get it. I'm like, all right, guys, let's go sit down. (laughs) And so we're like, they still got it on the, I think it was a pick there at the end. Yeah. So what's going through my head at that point was, man, all right, Dolphins are going to march down who was going to hit. Tyreek on a long play. They're going to go for two because they're banged up. They they don't want to play overtime, you know, and no matter what happens, that circumstance, you know, Ryan, who was in second place, he's going to cover the game and take, take, take first place. So that was going through my brain. And then, um, you know, the minute that um, I can't remember, was it rap that made that interception? Uh, My wife FaceTimes me immediately. And we, you know, we have a a really, really awesome moment together. Like she's in, she's stunned and shocked. Um, I'm stunned and shocked. Like, how is this even real? Like this is, this is real life right now. Um, So it was just such a, such a cool moment to experience, experience that even though it was FaceTime with my wife and I had my, you know, three of my best buds out there too. And so we had a, we had a heck of a, heck of a night i'd say oh yeah that's a that's a truly amazing moment just to celebrate that with your friends uh and family uh, in the, in the sports book at that time did was there like a buzz around you did people know who you were like you were the guy that was going to win millions in real time or was it was it just your your tight-knit group of friends there 
it was basically just a tight tight-knit group we had uh, a group to our right that was kind of making comments like oh i remember my first thousand dollar play too they had no idea <laughs> You know, it's like we'd be celebrating, and you know, they're kind of giving us, you know, crap like a or whatever. Like, dollars are... on the line here, bud. <laughs> yeah. And they have no clue. Um, two tables to our left uh, were the guys that ended up finishing third or fourth, and they had Buffalo too. So we we hadn't known each other until probably halftime, and we kind of like figured it out. Um, the second place guy, I hadn't seen him all day, and I, you know, when I talked to him last weekend at the the award ceremony, he had been hanging out kind of incognito at the you know the upper level of circa. Um, just kind of mellow, I guess, you know, Saturday night, everything was going his way and that's where him and his buddies were hanging out. So they didn't want to lose the karma there. So there was no like buzz around me at all. Um, Derek had him and like the survivor winners hanging up in his little area where, where he likes to sit. So there wasn't really too much, uh, commotion or anything, but there's definitely a, a Buffalo Bills side in the book. I'd say like, um, it seemed like anytime Buffalo did anything good, there was a little bit more of a roar versus when the when the Dolphins were. So I think uh, there were a lot of Buffalo Bills supporters in that room that night. Yeah, very interesting story. Uh, just a really random question here, just out of curiosity. When you were hedging your bets that day, did, did Circa let you do it on credit? Like, were you able to take it out of your winnings, even though, you know, you hadn't won yet? Or did you actually have to bring a, a boatload of cash with you to, to get it done? A duffel bag. Yeah. Like <laughs> Thanks, uh, I would say, like, the circus staff was incredible during this whole process. Uh, Jeff Benson was awesome to work with. They they loaned on credit um, and they adjusted, you know, whatever you needed based off of, you know, where you were in the contest. I know that the survivor is probably a little easier to understand the monetization, but, um, you know, Jeff Benson, his team, Derek, and the whole team—they were really open with um, with um, markers and credit that weekend. So I was able to, you know, take out without flying across country with a duffel bo- duffel bag of cash. Hopefully, the volumes uh, the volumes I was able to hedge at—that'd be a little tough to get out of my own bank account. I'd say that too. <laughs> For sure. Well, uh, congrats on the win once again. Very cool story. I can only imagine how uh, much fun that must have been, like being in the book. And then, like, it, it ended, you know, on a game winning interception to end the game. So it wasn't even over. Like, sometimes, I mean, I guess you probably would have been f- just as fired up, maybe, to, you know, for the Bills to have been up by 30 and had it sealed <laughs> by the start of the fourth. But to have, like, the one play that does it, that's even more of a fire up. And yeah. I, I remember actually I had I had the Bills that game as well, and I was fired up for the uh, like just obviously <laughs> nowhere near the uh, the bed size there, but a uh, lot lot of fun. I was riding with you that day. Um, yes. Here's what I was going to ask you in general. All right, you win a million. Probably a lot of people are asking you this. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to roll that into some sort of like you know betting bankroll now and like start to doing this doing this more, or is it savings? Oh, it's uh, it's savings investment. You're talking to a finance guy here, so uh, <laughs> I'll be uh, you know, Uncle Sam's gonna take a good uh, chunk of change in taxes, so you have to put a good amount um, to the side of that, and then um, load up our kids' 529 education funds, um, and then invest the difference probably for a while. Um, you know, my wife and I, we've had the the talks in the last couple of years of getting like a lake place in Minnesota. So we'll, we'll have a cabin with a, with a boat down the future here. But uh, for now we'll, we'll invest and let it grow a little bit, you know, put a, some aside for the taxes, make sure the kids are taken care of. And that's the only thing, um, you know, that's on our radar right now. So try to try to be prudent and uh, 
responsible with it. So it's, it's not, I guess you'd call it then not necessarily life-changing money. Like nothing's really going to change you know, oh, a couple oh, investments. It's li- uh, yeah. It's life-changing though. Like we're not going to change our, our lifestyle. You know, we're going to be, you know, we, we have kids in hockey and private Catholic school and stuff. So their tuition will be taken care of. Their hockey is taken care of. And, um, but we're going to be able to live a lot more simpler and, you know, we're not going to have any sort of like financial burden or anything, you know what I mean? Like just like that freedom that comes with it. I think that's life changing to me. You know, we're going to take the kids on a nice vacation and you can do a little, you know, more things that we, uh, otherwise may not be able to do or things a little quicker in our, um, trajectory than we thought, you know, maybe we'll get a cabin in three years versus, you know, 10 years. So I think I'd still call it life-changing money for sure. Fair enough. How's the hockey scene over there? You mentioned your, uh, head coach. Are you head coach? I'm head coach of our, uh, kids are in rookie mites. So these are, you know, five and six year olds. So it's a lot of just organized chaos on the ice, little pond hockey, you know, all that sort of stuff. There's, you kind of put a puck out and let them have at it. There's not too much structure, which is fun, but yeah, you hockey, the hockey scene coaching? in Minnesota, if you're not familiar, hockey scene in Minnesota is oh, top notch. It's uh we sell out the Excel Energy Center for our state high school tournaments every year and it's you know it's awesome. Oh we it's we know, experience. we know, and I know uh minor hockey's you know, growing ever uh ever so fast in the US and Minnesota is like, you know, either number one or at least top three at the minimum for USA right now. A lot of talent coming out of there, so that's why it's interesting. But are you you think you're gonna coach throughout and keep going? I'll coach until maybe they're like nine or 10 and then I'll let the, some volunteers take over. (laughs) I don't want the politics or the stress or the parent stuff. I used to coach Bantam hockey um, about 10 years ago and you know, you know, parents can kind of get in the way a little bit. And so I'll let someone else coach my kids. I'll, I'll enjoy the experience watching them, you know, from the stands. I think uh, once they get into like more advanced levels, yeah, better to be a parent getting in the way than a coach. With parents trying That's, to get in the It's way. tough. I mean, we both, me and Johnny both grew up in hockey and producer Zach as well. Every parent thinks that their kids should be getting the most ice time all the time. Makes for oh, yeah. very, very challenging for the coaches out there. I've always. Oh, yeah. Uh, the next, they're the next Connor McDavid or Bedard or Gretzky. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like I had a, I was coaching at an out of town hockey tournament and he had a parent come up to me with a, you know, a face off and breakout play on a napkin, you know, after a few drinks. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, stay, stay out of my way. I'm just trying to have a couple drinks here. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Um, this may, might sound like a weird question because you won the million. But if you, when you're looking back at the competition as a whole, is there anything that you would have changed or done differently uh, in terms of your approach or picks? Like just revisiting it now that it's in the rearview mirror. Anything that if you were going to do this again going forwards, which you probably will, um, what would you change? Um, so I think I would probably reduce a little bit of like the numbers and the maybe like the uh, various metrics I'd look at. I'd try to simplify it a little bit more next year. I think I got a little overcome with um, data points a little bit where, you know, they conflict each other at the end of the day. And these lines are so efficient anyway that, you know, they kind of just clouds your clouds your brain and judgment. Um, I'd also probably reduce the number of content folks I listen to just to, you know, like I said, stick with forward progress though. Stick with forward (laughs) Forward progress. progress. I'll listen to, um, turn off probably continuous, but I'll I'll probably try to reduce it to, you know, two or three a week versus, you know, probably like the five or seven I listen to. So I'll try to just try to reduce the number of, uh, voices in my head a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, I really liked my process. I'd, I'd update power ratings every Monday. I really liked that that part of it, I, you know, I'll continue downloading the, the key advanced metrics with DVOA and EPA and, and how I, 
you know, did the matchup analysis using those metrics. I think those were extremely valuable. Um, but I think it just like tried to reduce the, the outside noise a little bit more than I, uh, than I thought um, at the end of the year, um, just to make things a little simpler. How much of a role do you think luck played in your, your victory? Like, uh, from, oh. okay, go ahead. Just yeah, go no, ahead. I was gonna say a ton. Like so many games, you know, coming down to the last minute and a half or coming down to a two point conversion decision or not. Um, I mean, there's, so many points and like even the even the losses i know a great variance this year but like there are a lot of the ones i did lose there's a couple you know points that could have easily gone the other way too um but i think each week these these games and lines are so efficient that it's going to come down to something in the last five minutes of the game to decide it but you know definitely a lot of luck um as i think through some of the games that luck was on my <laughs> in my favor um I had I had the Browns the night they were, or the afternoon they were playing the Jags and uh, Jags were about to backdoor cover and they decided to go for two instead of kicking the extra point to make it three and that that was the difference between covering and not covering. Um, so that's one example. Zay Flowers not taking a knee on an end around in house of it. So I had the Ravens that night that was on my side. You know, like so there's like little things. But then I had KC when they were favored against Philly and you know Kelsey's at the ten and fumbles like that could have gone. You know if Kelsey gets that touchdown they probably you know route Philly and that opened the door for Philly so like every week I think is going to come down to you know there's very few rocking chairs in this league um so I think you know there's there's tons of luck um I'm sure regression will hit me <laughs> hard next year but I'm certainly enjoying this year's <laughs> this year's variance correct me if I'm wrong I might be wrong on this it might be the survivor not the millions but did did you win a blue jacket I did win the blue jacket yes do you, do you plan on wearing the blue jacket at all? Or is it just like, a, you know, put it up in the house, it's going to remain in the closet? I'm just curious, because people have very, very differing opinions on the blue jacket. Yeah, so the jacket's beautiful. Um, it's designed and tailored by the same pe uh, same guy that does Steve Wynn's jackets, which is a really cool fun fact. Um, but um, I'm planning to take it out kind of like the master's green jacket. So Derek's going to have this, you know, ceremony every year. I'll, I'll fly down to Vegas and, uh, and wear it. And this year was really cool going down there. The, there were the last two or three years worth of champions and millions. They, they had their blue jackets on for their ceremony. So it was really cool. Uh, I think Derek really wants to build it out like a little fraternity kind of, of a, of a group of guys that are able to, you know, overcome a lot of, um, a lot of the odds and a lot of the circumstances and and stress along the way and um it would be really cool i'm not going to wear it on a definitely not an everyday basis it'll be a, a special special occasion but it's a it's actually a beautiful jacket in person for those who don't know when you sign up they ask you so you fill out your info and then at the bottom it says jacket size which yeah. is a nice touch just like hey just in case we'll take your sizing right now yeah, left yeah, arm's yeah. a little longer than the right. <laughs> yeah, so Matt, I don't know, um, you mentioned listening to uh, Pozzola's other show that gives out the uh, the football picks. Obviously, that's why you won the million, but uh, I'm not sure how much you've listened to this particular program. At the end of every, every episode with every guest, we ask them to give out a plus EV and a minus EV move of life. So it doesn't have to be betting related, it could be anything, like, hey, coach your kids hockey because you get whatever anything you could be give us your plus ev move of the week uh plus ev move of the week reading um reading and um absorbing information i'd say uh as as long as you're continually learning uh reflecting trying to self-improve 
I think that is anything. That, I think that's major plus EV in life. Oh, couldn't agree more. Great, uh, great, great EV move. What about minus EV move of the week? Uh, minus EV is not having a purpose or a process for something you want to accomplish in life. So I think if you want to get after something, I think you have to have a plan, goal situated. How are you going to accomplish those goals? Um, otherwise, I think you're you're going to swim an uphill battle to uh, try to get those accomplished. I love that piece. I, I, I really like that. First time we've heard it, and it's a, it's a very great and valid one. Uh, finally, we'll close it off with this. If you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, what advice would you give to your former self? I'd say self-belief. Um, trust, trust your instincts. Um, do what you can to get to your goals. Um, I'd say, yeah, like I said, go with your instincts, trust your gut, um, do everything you can to accomplish your goals and, um, and keep looking forward and marching forward and don't let outsiders tell you different. Fair enough. I'm actually going to add in one more question before we wrap up here, just because I think it's very pertinent for our audience. This has come up a lot with previous winners of contests where they win the contest, they go down the path of selling picks afterwards, trying to capitalize on their success. I'm not judging one way or another. I've spoken on this topic about a million times before, I think to each their own, free market, capitalism, reign supreme. Do you think that's ever an avenue that you'd pursue? I don't think so. Um, I think, you know, just, I think it'd be a little disingenuous for me to sell picks as someone that can't bet sports legally. Um, yeah, I think I ran hot this year. I, I don't have the track record quite yet. You know, if I can do this for two or three years, maybe. Um, but right now, I, you know, I'd be comfortable giving opinions, but I'm not going to sell picks. I'll, I'll be active on Twitter, um, maybe not during the contest season. <laughs> um, but um, I don't have the I don't have the thought right now to, to go down that path of, of selling picks or going down that, but, you know, happy to jump on different podcasts or, you know, share opinions on things like that. But, um, I don't think touting or, um, you know, touting is a bad word to you. You know, I don't mean it that way at all, but just like, just as a, you know, going down the path of a, you know, what a sports better does with the frequency and things like that, I think it'd be a little disingenuous to go down, go down that, that, uh, path myself. Well, really appreciate you sharing your story, Matt. Uh, I could tell, I mean, uh, it was like a roller coaster for you this year. I'm very happy that you won. You seem like a great guy. One million dollar top prize again. Sixty two, twenty seven, and one against the spread. Uh, those are those are the years that dreams are made of, right there. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Maddie Saint um, or X, whatever we want to say nowadays. Matt, all the it's best. It's not coming back, buddy. Twitter it's not coming, coming back. back. Uh, appreciate you joining us. For everyone out there, if you enjoyed this interview, smash that like button down below. Make sure you're subbed here on Circles Off. We'll be back next week with another interview. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned next week for another edition of Circles Off.